0: Welcome to Hebsey on Sports. I'm your host, Mark Hepscher We're brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in beautiful Burlington, Ontario. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The best value for your golfing dollar is Crosswinds. Fabulous course, great people, sumptuous food, million-dollar views. Actually, that should be billion-dollar views, the way the price of real estate is now. What are you waiting for? Go to CrosswindsGolf.com, book your tee time online, and we'll see you out there. We're also sponsored by a friend, John Vassos, the mortgage expert. Why go to a big bank or a jeweler for your mortgage? Have I got a mortgage for you? They're just going to screw you around. Go to an expert on mortgages. Go to someone who specializes in mortgages. John Vasos, 647 1440 647-533-1440. He says, call or text him anytime with any questions you have, except how to cut a diamond. He doesn't know that. Toronto Mike is here, so am I. Let's get going today on the show. A lot of really popular sports people seem to be dying these days. I'll play an old interview that I did with Hockey Hall of Famer Stan Makita, who claimed to have invented the curved stick. What is it with Canadian tennis players losing on home soil? Do we put too much pressure on them? Do they put too much pressure on themselves? What is it? Why can't Milos get past the second round? Should Tiger Woods have his own television channel? It seems like he already has one at the PGA Championship. Every shot he takes, every breath he takes, every move he makes, we are watching him. And what's the future look like for John Gibbons, and Vladdy Guerrero, and Aaron Sanchez, Josh Donaldson, Troy Tulowitzki, and the entire Toronto Blue Jays organization? I understand the team is up for sale. Rogers does not want to spend the necessary money to make the Jays a contender, like the Red Sox or the Yankees. We'll get into that as well. Yeah, so after telling fans that Roberto Osuna would be welcome back on the team after his 75-game suspension for domestic assault, that was back in June, Blue Jays' management showed their insensitivity and lack of respect for their fans and the game of baseball, I think. I said Osuna would never pitch for the Jays again, and I honestly thought the Jays would release him, which would have sent a message of zero tolerance, not just to Jays fans, but to all of baseball, and maybe to all of professional sport, and maybe to people everywhere, regardless of the profession that they're in. We will not stand for this. Instead, they traded Osuna for a washed-up pitcher who could implode at any time. Really, was that the right, you know? You so, well, you got something for him, great. But really, you should have released him. So now the question is, how will Jays management handle the final two months of a miserable season? Are they going to fire John Gibbons? Is is that the right thing to do? Like you say, you might fire him, or so the rumors start that he might get fired. I mean, should he not have a say in what happens the last two months, or do you want to start fresh now, put an interim manager in there, Demar, uh, Demarlo Hale, and tell Gibbons goodbye? <clears throat> Was he that bad a manager? Was he just stuck with a bad team? I mean, he has to trot Jan-Hervis Solarte out there every day. <laughs> he must be wishing Vladdy Guerrero could come up from Buffalo so he can put Vladdy at third base and put Jan-Hervis Solarte on the bench. Did you see Vladdy's home run in Buffalo yesterday? Two of them. He's got two and two games in Buffalo and um, even more. So that what that does is just has more people saying, call him up, call him up, call him up. Where do you stand on this? Should we call him up?
1: How's his defense? Uh, that was Well, now he's in AAA. I think, yeah, I think he, he'll be called up when they expand the rosters no, for sure, right? you see, I don't yeah. want to see that. I don't, I, want, I
0: don't want that. I'd rather start fresh next year, spring training. The job is yours to lose, right? Full season of AAA. Even though the AAA season will end before the major league season, maybe he goes to the instructional league. I don't know. But there's half of me does want to see him because you know he'll, he'll crack a few. And remember, in September, especially if you're playing against a non-contending team, you're going to get some AAA pitchers. You're going to get some guys who are, you know, not uh, 40-man roster players. Right. So maybe it is a good time. Maybe September's perfect for him. He doesn't have to face Chris Sale or David Price or CeCe Sabathia or, you know, some of these guys who are playing for the contenders. Maybe he gets to face some, some kid that's, that, that's, that's like him, that's, that's a September call-up, and he crushes him. And then we're just, we can't wait for next year. And maybe the J sell more tickets for next year, more season tickets go, Hey, we want to see Vladdy. Or do you wait? And is it a thing about service time? Because the service time would begin you know, as soon as he's on the roster, right, as opposed to next year. That
1: service ch- time argument ticks me off because it reminds me of what a business this is, and I, I miss, <laughs> miss the days when I didn't really know uh, when I'm a child and I thought it was a sport, and I didn't realize how it was a business. How naive you were! <laughs> on that note, can I ask about the Osuna thing real quick? Because yep. you just made a bold statement there that the Jay should have released Osuna. That's right. I feel like uh, you're better. You know, again, it is a business, but we are fans of this ball team. I mean, are you sure we got nothing for Osuna in that trade? No, I'm like not. But let something. me put it this
0: way: regardless of what we got, what the Jays got for him, whoever mm-hmm. that is, is not going to be part of the future of this team, <clears throat> right? The few you had to, I think you had to have made a statement by saying, "Look, he was suspended by baseball. We we do not believe that if we brought him back, rehab, not rehab, whether he was not guilty, guilty." That in the eyes of the fans and in the eyes of you know a lot of people, he's guilty of something, or he wouldn't have been suspended for seventy five games. Now, is was it was it drugs? Well, if it was drugs and a seventy five game suspension, and you know this guy got suspended for drugs, that guy there's a J, guy in the Jays organization who just got called up, Panone, the pitcher, who was suspended for drugs. So that's a totally different thing than domestic assault. That's a whole other you know I mean, trying to cheat the game of baseball as bad as it is is not like. It's not a big social issue. I don't see. It's a victimless. I don't see. Yeah, it's it's more victimless. I exactly. I don't see. But in this case here, it's. I mean, there not only is there a victim, but there are a number of people who can who would side with the victim, the alleged victim in this case, and that's just the optics are bad
1: for sure. You got.
0: You're running a business. You're going to trot a guy (laughs) out there who, even if it takes one or two people to go boo or or say I'm not going to the games, Mm -hmm. there would be a groundswell of. Uh, opposition. So if you release the guy say, you know what? You're gone. You, uh, the same way any business would do the same thing. You're out of here. We can't afford to have you here. But in this case here, public perception means a lot.
1: I'm glad they traded him because we got some assets back for, for that asset. Okay. I'm glad we traded him. And also, one last thing on the Atkins thing. Yes, he did make that statement that he'll come and join the Blue Jays again yep. when he's off the suspension or whatever. Right. But I now, I'm now thinking maybe he said that for other teams. Like, if you say he's not playing again, you lose any leverage you have in a trade. And I feel we did pretty well in that trade considering. And I think maybe that's because... You know, we, we the public perception was that Osuna would play for the Blue Jays. If you say he's never going to play for the Jays again, his trade value plummets.
0: I guess, <laughs> I guess so. All I know is this: if you release him, no other team is going to be so quick to grab him. They would have grabbed him one minute after you. Released no, they him. wouldn't have, and that's my point, Mike. My point is is that if the Blue Jays release him, <clears> right? If you go, and, if Houston goes and picks him up, then they have to deal with their fans going, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second. Like you know, they released this dude. <clears throat> he's bad news. Stay away. Let him learn his lesson. Anyway, um, so he's and uh, I don't know. Do I do I hope Houston wins the World Series? No, I don't want them to win the World Series. They picked this guy up, okay. And the truth may or may not come out. We've been over this before. But my question is this: Now that Jay's management has already tried to deceive the uh, their public. Trying to make a bad situation, try to make it better when in fact they just should have, you know, cut, cut their losses. What are they going to tell us? Are they going to be upfront with us when it comes to, to Lewicki, Donaldson, Gibbons' future? What direction is the ball club going in? And should we expect management to be upfront? This is our plan. Do they have to? Is it, I mean, is it mandatory that management tells the fans wh- what their plans are? Like, wouldn't you like to know? Wouldn't you like to have heard something about Tulowitzki this year? Anything? He's rehabbing. He'll be back in August, September, mid-September. We hope to this. We hope to nothing. Status update: zero. Josh Donaldson. Hey, it's been since what? Is it been since May? Since we've I can't remember the last time I saw this guy play. And and what about? Oh God! What about the middle finger? Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman. The, the the right middle finger on both of their hands is going to cause such heartache for this organization. San- Sanchez, don't know if you're aware of this, but Sanchez had a rehab start in the Gulf Coast League a couple of days ago. All right. Pitched three innings, gave up five hits, two walks, a home run, four earned runs, struck out four. Eek. Terrible. Okay. Now, Is he gonna be coming? He's gonna come back on the mound. You're gonna go, hey, Sanchez is back. His rehab is done with. He's gonna be the same old Sanchez. What same old Sanchez is that? The one from 2016? Like, which one are we talking about here? And Strowman humming along, doing a great job, Blister. Uh Uh-oh, blister. What is it? Fire the pitching coach? Is Pete Walker telling these guys to put too much pressure on their middle finger when they're (laughs) throwing the the slider or the changeup or whatever? Come on. That's terrible. So Sanchez sucks in his, in his um, rehab start. He ain't coming back to the majors so fast. Uh, Josh is out. Tulo is out. Guriel is out. Remember him? He was pretty good for a while. Yeah, it was exciting. Until he tried to... A, low, a very rare bright spot this yeah. season. Yeah, Strowman's got the blister. Oh, yeah, Mike Housechild, <laughs> Boo! First major league start the other day. Got bombarded. What did I say? You can't take these guys who are career minor leaguers and suddenly think that if you bring them up to the major leagues and they have one good appearance... Six innings of of, of uh, hitless relief or whatever it was. And you're going to take that. Okay, we're going to make him a starter. Right. It didn't work with this guy. House child. We, wonderful story for about three days. <laughs> now he's back in Buffalo. We'll never see the majors again. Be a genie. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. No, that's last episode. <laughs>
2: so
0: that's last episode. Um, and by the way, um, uh, there was a terrible torrential downpour in Toronto earlier this week. Yours truly just moved into an apartment. It was, it's a basement apartment, right? unaware, of course, that if you get 70 millimeters of rain in 30 minutes, there's no place for the rain to go, except into your home. So you bought a kayak. (laughs) I should have. (laughs) Fortunately, I was home the other day when it was raining. There was a slight flood in my apartment, and I'm screaming. I'm I'm screaming the F word for anyone to hear. Of course, no one would have heard me because the rain was pelting so loud. And then uh, luckily I had a mop and a sink nearby and lots of towels. Wow. So I stemmed the tide. But it was pretty scary there. I'd never been involved in a flood. And I heard some of the stories of people being trapped and all that. And it was
1: Well, at the dome, apparently. I saw Wilner said he had to, like, uh, his car or something was underwater at the basement of the oh, dome or
0: something. That's not good. Call the insurance <laughs> company. So, uh, so last night I had a choice. I always have choices. But I had a choice. I could have gone to see... I had three choices. I could have gone to see the Jays play the Red Sox. I could have gone to the Rogers uh, Cup tennis. Okay or I could have gone out uh, for dinner and to a comedy bar to see my son who you met the other day. Yes. Uh, perform with his friends at uh, the comedy bar.
1: That's exciting.
0: Yeah, so he's like, "Hey dad, it's Thursday night and it's 10 bucks at the door and you know, great." And I've seen him a few times and he's very funny, you know, and him and his friends together, <clears throat> you know, make for some Well, oh, do you really want to promote comedy? him? What's his name? His name's Dean Hepshire. So but O.C. I don't but, but I don't think he's uh, he's not on the marquee as that name. It's like a bunch of guys and it's all done through social media. Right, it was like, come see us play. We're on at 10 o'clock. Anyway, so I, I chose the ladder. So I went out with some friends for some Indian food, which I'm kind of regretting because <laughs> it was delicious going down. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then a few blocks away is the, the comedy bar. So, all right, he said, show up at 9.45, tickets at the door. Great. So we go. And uh, it's about 25 to 10, get there a little early, and there's a lineup outside onto the street. Okay. And I'm thinking, ah, still, you know. Tickets at the door. Sold out. Completely sold out. I'm like, but I'm the father. And I got my friends with me. There's four (laughs) of us. But I'm the father of one of the performers. They're like, I don't care. you don't use that card. You say, I'm Hebsey. Hebsey on sports. I know. I should (laughs) have. So guess what? I don't get to see it. I'm locked out. That's amazing. It's sold out. There's four of us there. We wanted to get tickets at the door. And, you know, through social media, yeah, and he's an influencer. You know, all it takes is you know for thirty or forty or fifty or sixty of his friends or people that follow him and his friends, and guess what? They were all there. He couldn't even put they... his old man on a list or something. Well, he too, could have, uh... but not plus three, I guess, right? Oh, or he hasn't right. learned to do that yet, or right. any, but anyway. So it's sort of a tu- <laughs> it was a turning point. So I was disappointed but thrilled at the same time. He's got a sold out show on a Friday th- Thursday night, and guess what? There were two or three other comedy um, acts going on. On that stretch of Bloor Street. Like, we walked by a couple of open mic nights and comedy nights. So, anyway, good for him. And, you know, um, I lost out on that one, unfortunately. But you could have caught, I think there were
1: lots of seats to catch David Schultz and Gear Joyce. I think they were. Uh, oh, is
0: that right? <laughs> yeah. Where were they? <laughs> Are they playing also?
1: <laughs> I don't know, but they are playing September 12th, and you're going to see them.
0: Yeah, I want to do that for sure. Um, so anyway, so I want to see the Rogers Cup. So Milos, Chapo, Felix, the 18-year-old, Rafa, all good stuff there. Except there are no Canadians left in either the men's or women's draw. And this seems to happen, like, way too often. The chapo thing is great now, but now he's an established player and I'd like to see him get past the third round, but he didn't. Milos got bounced in the second round. Let me... Tell me this. Milos has been playing since 2009 at the Rogers Cup. Every single year. I think he missed 2011. Yeah. So every single year, Milos has played. What's the furthest he's gone? Well, you
1: set it up that he didn't go very far, so I'm guessing a low, I would have guessed higher, now I'm guessing he hasn't gone past
0: the third round. He once made the final in 2013, uh-huh. but his last few years, this year, bounced in the second round. 2017, bounced in the second round. 2016, bounced in the quarters. 2015, bounced in the second round. 2014, bounced in the quarters. Now, I, you know, i he's a better player than that. I mean, you're a ranked player. Come on. Uh, you've been to the Wimbledon final before. You haven't won a Grand Slam event. I get that. But if you're going to do anything, do it. Do it. Do it at home. Get out there. Second round. Yeah, that's uh, freaking embarrassing. That. Yeah. What is he, Jeannie Bouchard, who goes out in the first round, but takes a great picture, takes a great selfie? And let's say this, Jeannie, maybe she's
1: not that great a tennis player, but Milos, we believe to be, we have evidence that he is actually a great
0: tennis player with maybe not the great, best Not great. Not can... <clears> great. <throat> no, he's getting there.
1: Okay, but he's a top ten guy,
0: right? No. Oh. No, he's not. He's not a top 10 guy. He gets injured too much, and you need to be a consistent player to be in the top 10. You need to be at every tournament you're in. You're banging away, man. You're, you might get beaten the third round in one. You're not going out in the second round of your own home tournament. You're getting to the round of 16. You're getting the quarters. You're getting to the semis once in a while. But he's not. It doesn't matter if it's Montreal or Toronto. Terrible. He needs to stay healthy. We all do. And that's the other thing, too. That's the, all the caveat. Well, if he stays healthy, that's the same with any athlete. Same with any, any singer. Oh, if he stays healthy and he keeps his voice good, you know. Of course, if he stays healthy. That should... If, if I hear someone say that again, I'm just going gonna, gonna to smack the television. So don't We know that if he stays healthy. He doesn't need to be a... If he doesn't lose his leg, he'll be a great uh, player. Of course. Sell your Milos stock and buy Felix. Felix looked pretty good, but that was the other thing. Oh, it's his eighteenth birthday, and you know, he's a kid. You know, let him have a little taste. The thing that I don't like to see is when someone who's really young advances way past when they should, and then everyone expects that every year. Like Chapeau. Like every year. Oh, she's still he's nineteen. He's only 19. It's
1: Boris Becker's fault when he won that uh, Grand Slam at it's, 17. It's true. He was 17 when he won Wimbledon.
0: 17. He was too young. So, you know, you got to ease your way. It's like a team. It's like a hockey team that makes it to the Stanley Cup final, like Vegas did, yes. in their first year. Right? Where are you going to go from that? And we've discussed this before. There's nowhere to go but down. Right. If they get bounced in the second round next year, it's going to be a disappointment. So I like, I like to see I like to see teams and individuals um, work their way up to the championship. Right? Oh, you got beat in the first round when you were a kid, Then you make it to the second round, then you make it to th- the men, maybe you make it to the quarterfinals, but don't not all the way to the final that first year or first couple of years. I don't like that. I need to apologize to our, one of our sponsors, John Vassos, the mortgage specialist. I gave out the wrong phone number on our last podcast, and with podcasting, you can't go back and fix it. It's embedded in the in the podcast. It's there forever. Well, technically, you can, but I hear you. Well, we could, but <laughs> once sound, you heard it, but it's it would done. sound, it would sound goofy, uh-huh. right? So, in that, but in the last episode, last podcast episode, I, I, I gave a wrong phone number. I, I gave the phone number a couple of times, but I gave it wrong once, and the number I gave is one of those sex chat lines.
1: Uh, that explains everything. So I'm
0: really sorry. I apologize to John. John does mortgages. John does debt so consolidation. So Johnny V is not doing a sex line uh, operation. <laughs> John does refinancing. John doesn't do. Stuff like that. That's not his thing. So the number's 647 533 1440. 647 533 1440. All right. And John's a huge sports fan. So there's that too. But that other number I gave was the wrong number. And I apologize. Um, I always enjoyed watching Tiger Woods just to see what's going to happen next. Right. It was, it's fascinating. When he was at his absolute best, there wasn't anything he couldn't do, there wasn't any shot he couldn't pull off, but he never smiled. He never looked like he was enjoying himself, right? The joy of the crowd, the, the response, the, the, the love and affection for this guy, the outpouring of emotion was not returned by Tiger Woods when he was in his 20s and in his 30s. But lately, Tiger looks like he's enjoying the game. And even yesterday when I'm watching, and I thought I'm watching the Tiger channel, I didn't realize that I was watching um, a, a dedicated group, him, Justin Thomas, and Rory McElroy. They follow them. So they, they take a, a feature group, they call it, and they follow every one of their shots. They don't, they don't switch, let's go to 18 now and see what's going on there. Or that, That's what they do. So I didn't realize that I was watching, like I thought I was just watching Tiger with Rory and Justin Thomas and no one else was on the golf course. And he hits one into the woods, and oh my God, he's got a terrible lie, and he tries to clip it under the trees, and he hooks it too much, and it's still in the trees. And I'm thinking, oh boy, he's falling apart because he had double bogeyed, he bogeyed the first hole, double bogeyed the second. And you're watching his, you're watching his response, and you're thinking he's going to throw a club or he's going to, he's going to yell at somebody, a photographer, something. He's just going to implode. But no, he managed to, you know, he managed to scramble back, and it was fun to see. And he made this one par, an impossible par, where he was in the woods, he never saw the fairway on a tough hole. And, when he, and then when he made the putt, he he smiled. Like, I hadn't seen... Uh, like, a real, honest-to-goodness, genuine smile from Tiger Woods. It was wonderful to see. And now I'm a fan of his. Because he's a human. He's enjoying himself out there. It's wonderful. In the last few weeks, it's been... I think I mentioned this. I'm Dust, Dustin Johnson, you don't smile. And I, I forget who won it last week. He was boring, too. Was it, was it Justin Thomas last week? I can't even remember. But anyway, like... The, I love seeing guys smile. I've seen guys have fun. I used to like to watch the Craig Stadlers and the Fuzzy Zellers and Lee Trevinos. They were enjoying themselves out there. It's Art. all about
1: pressure, right? Like, I think there's a direct correlation. For for years, Tiger Woods had all... He had pressure to win every single tournament he played in. And the expectation was he would win every tournament he played in. And he took it very seriously. You know how his father raised him. And, uh, of course, uh, that pressure amounted to you, you don't smile on the golf course. You need to win, man. Win, win, win. You don't show weakness. <laughs> right. But now... The expectation is gone that he will win every tournament. Uh, I think he's now allowed to sort of, he's allowed to fail. And there,
0: that is translated into genuine uh, enjoyment by yes. Tiger Woods. He's 42 years old now. He's playing with these young guys. <clears throat> like Rory and Justin Thomas are considerably younger than Tiger. It's sort of like when Arnold Palmer played against Jack Nicholas. There was a 10-year uh, age difference between the two. And Jack was the young gun. And then years later, Tom Watson was the young gun battling Jack and Lee Trevino and guys like that. So it's just the evolution of sport anyway. And, uh, tiger's now 42 and he's gone through more than a lot of people. And I kind of like him. I'd like to, I'd like to invite him out to crosswinds. I, you know, years ago it was like, Oh, he'll never come here. He's too busy. He won't come to the Canadian open. I think he will. And I think he might be the type of a guy to say, Hey, win a foursome with tiger woods. So I'm going to get crosswinds to do a promotion. Maybe we'll play from the tips wouldn't that be great? It would be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, if you could get athletes to just, like, just, you know what? It's you We're going to go play golf, or we're going to, you know, play tennis together, or maybe Tiger wants to go to a Leaf game. Like, just, I just want to be a regular guy. I want to see Austin Matthews. I want to see John Tiff- I'm so excited about the Leafs.
1: Oh, I know. I'm so excited that Hebsey on Sports exists for this <laughs> moment in Toronto sports history. It's sort of like when the Fan 590 arrived just in time for like back and back, to back World Series. The timing for Hebsey on Sports is perfect, and
0: I'm so psyched about it. Yeah um, did I, I did I mention to you that Rogers wants to sell the Jays? I'm very good authority. Um, these large media companies, like for example the YES Network, which does the Yankees, they make billions of dollars. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. Rogers does not make billions and billions of dollars off the Blue Jays. They make money off other things, but not off the Blue Jays. And I think the way my source tells me is that they've they've um, they've put them up for sale. You want to buy the Toronto Blue Jays? Not Rogers, but you want to buy the team? We're interested in selling. We cannot compete with the Yankees and Red Sox. Yankees have way more money in U.S. fund. Way more. Way, Red Sox have way more money. We think that Toronto, big time baseball market, whatever. Toronto would spend money like that for the Leafs. If Rogers owned the Leafs, they they, they would say, ah, you know what, we can. But but see, Rogers went and spent you know um, a couple billion on on NHL hockey rights. How's that worked out for them? Has it? They've been waiting for this. They've been waiting for Leafs to be a team that you must watch. They're going places. So Rogers wants to sell the Jays. And as you know, chorus entertainment has been up for sale for quite some time. That's a big, big media conglomerate, right? Not as big as Rogers or Bell, but pretty big. Number three in Canada, they're looking to sell. Nobody wants to buy. So I, I think that, I just think we've ran out of companies that look at something like this and go, yeah, we can make money from this. It's too much of a hassle. It's too expensive. Right? I mean, You're going to strip this team down eventually when Russell Martin's contract is done and tulowitzki has gone and Morales with one more year. You're going to have guys that are making very little money under team control for a number of years. And you're going to have to sell that to your fans. You're going to have to say to your fans, look, we're not Boston and we're not the Yankees. We're the Blue Jays. And we're going to build our team around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Dwight Smith Jr. and... Did I miss any juniors there? <laughs> and Aaron Sanchez's middle finger and uh, Marcus Stroman's middle finger and uh, Ryan Barucki. And who else have we got? You know, Justin Small. So you've pretty much got a team whereby if you had the money, you could go out and get some pretty good free agents. Really make a difference, right? But I don't think the Jays are going to go in that direction. I don't think they can. I don't think Rogers will give them the money. And I'm wondering about the future of this team, I'm really, you know, I want to know what are their plans? Are we are there going to be a contender in 2020? And and will they spend because every time I turn around, Yankees or Boston's like, yeah, Steve Pierce, we'll get him. Oh yeah, oh Nathan Navaldi, we'll get him. It's like a battle between those two teams to see who can spend more money on rental players. Jay Happ, Yeah, we'll get him. And they're so much better because they've got much better talent. There's no Jan Hervis Solarte on either of those two teams. That Boston team is dynamite and and the and the Yankees the Yankees are going to win 101 or 102 games this year and 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 be fighting for a wild card spot for a single game elimination yeah can you imagine spending all that dough and you might get into a one game elimination it's an arms race
1: in words of victims here, but uh, on the business of sports here, uh, the Blue Jays are owned by Rogers, but all the rest of the Toronto, big Toronto teams are owned by MLSE, right? Correct. Which is like 47% Rogers or something, and then 47% Bell. Is, it, is, something is, is like that, that how it works? Something like that. I don't know. But here's the thing doesn't yeah. it make sense for Rogers just to bring in their other partners at MLSE like, the, uh, like Bell did with regards to the Argonauts? Oh, man. just put them all under the same umbrella I, I mean they know. already got the Marlies they already got TFC they already got the Blue Jays they yeah. got the Raptors and now they got the Argos throw in
0: the Blue Jays I used to like it when the owner of the team had a face but G- Ballard had a face and we hated George it George Steinbrenner had a face okay, yeah. he was the guy that did all those moves right <laughs> um, and now there is no face it's the corporate face and um, so do we go to games going who owns this team anyway who owns this team I mean, hello Rogers what are you doing there what's going on um, anyway <clears throat> they're up for sale if you know anyone, we should buy it. Wants to buy a team. If you know, <laughs> or get them as sponsors. We'll crowdfund it. <laughs> One of the great things about YouTube is you can find a video clip of just about anything anything that was ever aired, ever shot by anybody, you can find it. In 1986, while working at Global Sportsline, Line, the Maple Leafs were playing the St. Louis Blues in St. Louis and there was no TV coverage. Imagine this, folks. There were days where games were not televised. Not at all. Not locally, regionally, nobody. That would
1: break my 16-year-old's brain. He would not be able to comprehend that that could have happened in my lifetime.
0: So imagine having a sports show, a nightly sports highlight show in 1986, and your viewers expect to see highlights. And you say, there's no TV coverage of this game in St. Louis. None. What are we going to do? So at the time... Uh, Jim Taddy and myself, well, we got to find some way to get, I mean, they got to see the Leafs, no TV coverage in St. Louis. Taddy calls this guy at one of the local stations in St. Louis, a cameraman and says basically, you know, how much to go and shoot the St. Louis Toronto game? The guy was like, what do you mean? He says, I want you to go with videotape, right? With your camera, lock it off, follow the play, just you. And, and then, Cut some highlights, put them on the satellite feed, uplink them so that we can download download them and show them to our viewers. So, so we we were the only ones. We paid uh, Jim paid to have I think it was five hundred bucks to have this guy, this freelance cameraman in St. Louis, go up there, get credentials, which was easy, set up his tripod where the cameras would be if the game was televised, and shoot the whole game. <laughs> right. So now we're doing the show and we're waiting. Well, we're not waiting. We're, we're, we're doing the show. We're doing other highlights and stuff like that. But we know in the back of our mind at about 11.45, 11.50, that we're going to get some highlights coming in from the St. Louis-Toronto game, which was still going on at the time, in progress. We didn't see anything. Unbeknownst to us, Wendell Clark had laid the most thunderous body check ever seen in the history of the National Hockey League. Save for Pat Quinn's hit on Bobby Orr. But this was even better, right? He thundered this Bruce Bell behind the net. Some people on Twitter had said that if, if it happened today, uh, he would have gotten kicked out of the game. I don't think so. I don't even think he left his feet on this hit. He clobbered Bruce Bell, knocked him cold. Charlie Bourgeois of St. Louis tried to start a fight with Wendell. I was doing the voiceover. I had not seen this. Jim had not seen this. It came in from this cameraman who had shot it. And on the highlight... We just Since Jim had paid for it, we had paid for it, there was a global G, that bug, a big, huge global G in the upper right corner, which meant that CTV, CBC, TSN, City TV, CHCH, all the other channels could not run this. We owned it. We owned it. And it was fabulous. It was a thunderous hit. Somebody found it on YouTube. Recently, and posted it, and it started the whole conversation going on Twitter. The whole oh, I remember seeing that hit. Anyway, down goes Brown, who's a friend of mine. Uh, Sean McAdoe is his name. Terrific, really good writer. He writes. He says that's the only. I I couldn't find that footage anywhere else. That's the only version of of that hit. There's nothing else. And and then I explained the story. Is that the only reason? The only people that saw that were global viewers and people who were actually at the game. That's it. There was no television coverage. I explained the whole thing. We paid for the footage and got, you know, got a lot of use out of it too. And I hadn't seen the hit in a long time. And when I watched it, I just went, oh my God, and I'm listening. And I see myself, I'm doing the voiceover of it. I hadn't seen it. And when I saw it, I just could not believe it. He absolutely laid him out. And you know, people talk about that years and years later because of the YouTube, right? You say, oh, what kind of a player was Wendell Clark? <clears throat> Take a look at this clip. You tell me. If you're a defenseman in the National Hockey League and you're playing against the Leafs and you know Wendell's on the ice against you and you don't have your head up, this is what could happen to you. <clears throat> Wendell Clark was one of the most vicious body checkers in the game. Wendell would finish his check, right? 200 feet away from the play just to let the defenseman know that he better keep his head up. And when Wendell was at the 1987 Team Canada training camp, he didn't make the team. He wore number 47. He was still a young guy. I think 20, I think he was... Geez, he was drafted in 85, so 87. So he's a 20 year old. And he didn't make the team, but in one of the practices, he went after, I think it was the late Brad McCrimmon in a scrimmage. And McCrimmon had, you know, was back, back of his net and had head manned the puck. And Wendell took him out in the end boards, finished his check, stapled him into the end boards, right? John Brophy, who was his coach for the Leafs at the time, was sitting in the stands. And I, I remember going to him and saying, yeah, that's Wendell. Wendell will finish his check. Wendell will make you pay. And and that was, that, if you get to see it, Sportsline 1986, Bruce Bell, back of the net, boom, done. History. All right. I first met Stan Makita. I was eight years old. The Royal York Hotel in downtown Toronto was where the players stayed. And on Saturdays, my dad would take us down there. We would wait in the lobby for players to come through. Uh, after the morning skate, so around noon or one o'clock, and they'd all be dressed up in suits and ties, and you knew the players. Very few of them wore helmets in those days. In fact, I don't think Makita started wearing a helmet until later. So you knew what they looked like, and they were dressed in shirts and ties. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And if I'm not mistaken, Stan Makita was at the newsstand reading a Playboy magazine. And I'm eight years old, and I go, "Excuse me, Mister Makita," and I, I sort of remember him looking, "Oh, you know," and putting the putting the Playboy magazine back in the rack and asked for his autograph, he was really nice, and uh, signed it, and then Bobby Hull was next to him, and he said, here, Bobby, sign this, and Bobby Hull signed it as well. Wow. This is what I remember about him, and I'd interviewed him many times. The last time was in the early 2000s. He died the other day of dementia, 78 years old. Man. And you know when I spoke to him, I, I wanted to get some good stories from him. He was the most, he was a funny guy, he was very self-deprecating, which I love about people. He was very, you know, he never talked about all the great stuff he had done, except for when he talked about the curved stick, but he was very self-deprecating. Anyway, I won't go on anymore. Here's a, a portion of that
2: conversation with the late Stan Makita. Uh, Bobby Hall was supposed to pick me up because uh, Rudy Pillas was the coach then. And of course, Bobby and I played junior together in St. Catharines and he went up uh, two years ahead of me, but uh, I'm waiting at the train station and uh, nobody there to meet me. So, uh, I'm having a cup of coffee and a cigarette by the counter there. And all of a sudden, the coach, Rudy Pilla, shows up. And he says, what the hell is that in your mouth? And he kind of flipped it out of there. He said, my guys don't smoke. I said, yes, sir. So anyway, we uh, went to the stadium for the first time. And uh, that's where I met Bobby. But I walked into the locker room. And I was never so disappointed in my life as, as what, I, what I saw. Uh, the, the, the floors were wooden at the time, which were all warped. And the nails were coming out of the floor, so you, you didn't dare take your shoes off. Uh, you know, otherwise, you'd be uh, hot-footing hot it around the whole place. And, and then I went to uh, get undressed and put my clothes up in the, in the locker somewhere, and all they had was nails in the wall. And uh, the, the coup de grace of the whole thing was uh, that uh, you had to watch out for all the rats that were coming through the, the dressing room, or you'd step on them. I mean, that's how bad it was. That's but, then, uh, but then the, over the years, uh, the Wirtz has poured a lot of money into it and of course we started playing a little better too so maybe that had something to do with it uh but they they ended up having probably one of the best locker rooms in the in the history of hockey i want you to clear something up for me i asked
0: andy bathgate he said that he invented the curved stick, but he couldn't use it. And he gave some sticks to you, and you were quite successful. Bobby Hall says that that you in practice use the curved stick all the time. Give me the can, can you recall when you first started using it and 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 what the
2: reaction was amongst your teammates and the league? Uh, no, Andy uh, approached me a couple of years ago on that, and I think the the uh, curved blade has been around for at least forty years. Uh, it actually started by accident, as all great uh, inventions do as, you know. Uh, I cracked the, the blade of the stick on, the, on my backhand side, so it would be on the right side of the stick, and, and it formed a, a kind of a letter or a shape of an L, or, if you will, or, or a bit of a uh, curve in it. And I was a little miffed because uh, our, our locker room was downstairs, that's where our sticks were. I only had one up for practice. So I'd have to walk down all those 21 stairs, which wasn't bad going down, but then coming back up was the, was the tough part. And uh, I got mad, so I, I fired the puck against the boards. And I noticed with this uh, broken or cracked stick, and I noticed that the sound was different when it hit the boards. It, it, made a, it made a louder sound. So I took another one, two or three or four, and I noticed that the puck was actually leaving the stick a little different. So I, I put it in the back of my head. I broke the stick, by the way, finally. And uh, the coach called the practice. But I, uh, after a while, I got thinking, uh, let me see how I can bend the stick and maybe uh, you know, see, see how that works. Well, it took me about a month to, to finally figure out how to do it and, and bend it and keep it in that shape. And, uh, and then I started using it for another month in practice only. Uh, the puck did a lot of dipping and diving, like a knuckleball effect. So I, I, I'm not sure what game it was where I finally tried it. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. I screwed up a lot of kids' lives by creating that curve stick. How did Glenn Hall react to this? I mean, he was, I guess you're going in practice. Did he want to stand in against you? When uh, when we were winding up for a slap shot, both uh, Bobby Hall and I, and Bobby picked it up right away, and, he, of course, he was left-handed. So, but he didn't quite know how to put a small curve in it. His was like a big banana. Uh, anyway, Glenn would just walk out, uh, skate out of the net and go stand in the corner. And, of course, we, uh, we didn't know where the puck was going, so we'd hit him in the corner anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the late Stan Makita. Um, so, and, yeah, so Makita claims here that, you know, yeah, he invented the stick, whatever. Andy Bathgate, who we referred to there, who passed away a couple years ago, told me in 1964, when he was traded to the Maple Leafs, he had, he had the Stanley Cup winning goal. He scored a goal with a slap shot over Terry Sawchuk's left shoulder. He told me that he knew that Sawchuk had a bad shoulder. And I believe this was the first time that a curved stick was used in a game, it was in '64 because Bathgate. Look, you cannot. It's very difficult. If anyone's ever shot a puck before, very difficult to get that kind of height from a from a straight blade. So Bathgate had a little bit of a curve in it. He had before that it had a bigger curve, and he he didn't know where the puck was going. He hit a lady in the mouth once and knocked out all of her teeth. And Junior and his coach said, "Don't ever use that." So this was an experimental thing, and there weren't any rules against it in 1964. And Bathgate had said to me that the goal that he scored on Sawchuck that won the cup for the Leafs in 64, there was a bit of a curve in that blade there. And it allowed him, because he knew about Sawchuck's shoulder, it allowed him to raise the puck quickly and get it up over the shoulder, the left shoulder of Terry Sawchuck. So how's that? You know the goalie's got a bad shoulder. You say, if I go high glove, he's not going to be able to get his glove up there. He's got a bad shoulder. Put a little curve in the stick. Boom. It's crazy. There you go. That's it for this edition of Hebsey on Sports. Thank you to our sponsors, Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. Go to CrosswindsGolf.com. Hey, I'll see you out there this weekend. And John Vasos, the mortgage agent who specializes in mortgages. Call or text John with your questions, 647-533-1440. Thanks to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Check out his page at TorontoMike.com. You can follow me as Hebsyman. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for allowing us into your headspace. So long for now.